Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 208 with Vern Oakley. Vern has made many an award-winning film in his day, and he shares the perspective he's gained by doing that many times and working with other folks to have story and connection and resonance, all that good stuff. So you'll learn, one, how breathing helps you release fear, two, the optimal mindset for delivering a presentation, And three, the essential question to answer when designing your communication. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep208. And while you're there at awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope you investigate some of our cool resources. One I dig is simply the gold nugget email list, which is the notes. We take them for you. If you wish you could put pen to paper, but you just can't, to capture some of the cool stuff guests are saying, we take those notes right for you, send them right to you, and you can sign up at awesomeatyourjob.com or write from your smartphone directly all the faster by texting NUG, that's N-U-G, to number 444-999. You text N-U-G to 444-999, you can sign up for Gold Nuggets that way. Now here is Vern's story, A veteran filmmaker, teacher, speaker, and industry thought leader, Vern Oakley has been helping institutions and leaders connect with and mobilize their tribes through soul expression and communication. His mission to humanize leadership is achieved by crafting great stories that appeal to and impact the people who matter most. Here's Vern. Vern, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. Glad to be here. Well, in learning a little bit about you, I discovered that you've earned over 150 awards for film, which is a huge number. So I'd love to hear from you, first of all, to break the ice a little. You know, what's been one of your favorite film projects and how is it that you are able to just win so much acclaim? I think what sort of differentiates us is we have a strong point of view about what a film should be. And I have a background in theater. I've directed a feature film that Columbia TriStar released. I did a TV series for PBS. And that I sort of took all those sort of storytelling mediums and translated them to our unique point of view on corporate um, and college and university and nonprofit videos. And that, you know, we think deeply about story. We think deeply about the audience. We think deeply about how to connect the mission of these companies to the work that we're doing. Super. Well, now, what is the strong point of view, if you were to articulate that, in terms of you've got a take that can vary from others? Could you maybe you know lay out the distinction? Like, whereas most would say this, we would say that. Sure. Um, a lot of people um, approach the kinds of sponsored films that we make um, or films that are making for these kinds of clients with inside-out thinking. It's like, this is what I have to tell the audience. We like to talk about, okay, 
tell us what you want to tell the audience, but let's think about what the audience is willing to hear. Let's think about the context where the audience is coming from on their journey to hear your story and what beliefs they might have here. And then secondly, we're really encouraging people not to sell and not to dazzle and um, not to be, you know, glitzy, but to be honest and authentic because that's what cuts through in today's society. It's just so rare um, when that comes through from a company um, that people pay attention to it because they go, hey, well, this must be a different kind of a company because they must feel self-confident enough to show their true colors. You know, I love that honest, authentic principle. And I'm having some flashbacks. We talked before a little bit about, you know, my background at Bain doing consulting. And I remember we had a session maybe once a month on Friday we called Debunk the Myth, where folks could submit anonymous questions and then the head of the office would put them up on the projector and just answer them, you know, whatever they were. And every once in a while, he'd say, hey, you know what? We can't quite disclose this right now because it's in process or or this and that. But for the most part, they were just very honest, even when they were joke questions. And they'd say, <laughs> so they'd maybe do a joke right along with it. Or they'd say, hey, be careful about this kind of joke. It can really be unprofessional if such and such a person would be present. <laughs> and then, you know, the jokesters learned their lesson. <laughs> so, but it was awesome to see that just realness there. It feels like the, all the adults are in the room and you're not sort of sitting outside the circle, the inner circle, which they have all the knowledge and they're not going to let you participate. And I think ultimately what people are looking to do is to join a tribe, to become part of something that they feel that they can contribute to and their contributions are meaningful. So if you think about it that way, then you have to tell the truth. You have to be authentic. And I understand exactly what you were saying about abandoned company. Some things you can't tell at that moment. That's okay. That's an adult answer, but you can't gloss over it. You can't, you know, put a bow around it and and tell people it's beautiful when, you know, they kind of know that, you know, they're going to be laying off 3000 people or, you know, the product they just launched failed. You know, you got to talk to people in ways that they're real um, and then they respect you. There's a there's a, um, a relationship that's forming out of uh, trust and mutual respect. And that's crucial in terms of video. Oh, that's powerful. And so we're going to talk about a number of principles. Video is your expertise, but I think many of those principles kind of carry over into whenever you're kind of on in terms of presenting or doing a speech or a slide deck or whatever. So maybe to start us off, could you give us some of the key distinctions that we should bear in mind as we're talking about principles that are are more video centric versus are universal and apply to the presentations? The authentic piece, I think, absolutely is universal. But what's maybe distinctive? Well, I think when you think about doing a live presentation versus a, a video um, presentation is that live is like you, you walk onto the stage, um, you, you talk for your 15, 20, 30 minutes, and then you walk off the stage. So one of the great things about video that's a little different is you have the power of editing. You can cut out the mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have the power of multimedia. You can add in music or pictures that really makes it quite, quite um, powerful in terms of the way the brain processes that kind of information. But the similarities between the two, if you're talking about somebody being on video or somebody being on stage, is that we like to see what's real. You know, you know, we like to see the people drop the mic. We like to see people make mistakes. And then we like to see that they acknowledge that because that shows that they're human. That shows that, hey, you know, 
I'm kind of like them. I, I might get up and make a mistake in my presentation. But if you make a mistake in your presentation and you don't acknowledge it, it feels like you're trying to create this barrier. You're trying to create this uh, feeling of being perfect. And I have news for all of your listeners. No one is perfect. I'm not perfect. I haven't met a perfect person yet. And yet we try to be perfect. And that keeps us distant on film or live. Oh, that's good. And I'm reflecting on times I've made mistakes and in front of large groups and and presentations and whether it's mumbling or studying or stuttering or going too fast or the words, you know, kinds of challenges. And so I will often just say, ooh, you know, rewind or excuse me, what I meant to say was or something (laughs) like that. Uh, Do you have any other kind of favorite tips, tricks, phrases for those situations? One of my favorite pieces of advice is just to breathe. I, I know it seems simple, but one of the things you find in terms of professional athletes or professional actors who are out there performing is that they know how to do breath control. And that I like to say, um, you know, if fear is excitement without the breath. So when we feel fearful, if we're not breathing, you know, just by the mere fact of breathing and taking a moment, we can release that fear. Oh, that's good. So are there any particulars for breathing well? Like, you know, breathe this way under that circumstance and a different way under another context? Or is there a universal, you know, do this when breathing? I guess I've read a lot about, you know, belly breathing or in through the nose or through the mouth or this many counts. How do you think about that? Well, Obviously, I think you must be taking yoga classes because, you know, that's the three kinds of breathing that they teach in yoga, and those are all good. I think for any person who's about to go on camera or was on stage, the main thing is just remember to breathe. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't want to complicate it. Just I don't want do it. Think, you know, my belly breathing, nose breathing, you know, whatever. It's just like, just remember, if you're not breathing, you got fear. If you are breathing, you can get over it. Okay. Awesome. Well, so now when it comes to videos, what is it about a great video that enables or really just facilitates a lot of inspiration toward taking action? You know, what are those key ingredients? A couple of things I want to talk about, and I'm sure the listeners will understand this, is that when we're watching a video, there are two things that are going on. There's the video that the filmmaker made, and we're watching that, but there is our own internal video that's going on that has us relating to that situation. Oh, that's just the way my wife and I kid around or, oh, that's the kind of car I always wanted to get. So you are constantly inserting yourself in the story. Hmm. So there's your story and there's the story that the filmmakers make and that what we're trying to do is create shared perception. So you, it's easy to understand that in terms of feature films because there's a horror film you want everybody to jump out of their seats at the same moment, or it's a romantic comedy, you want the two characters to get together. But in corporate video, it's harder to uh, acknowledge what people are supposed to do. So it's important in terms of storytelling that you are clear who the audience is. It's clear that where the audience is coming from and the context that the video is. And it's clear if there's any sort of elephants in the room because they need to be addressed immediately or people won't listen to a word you're saying until you actually acknowledge, hey, you know, I've everyone's heard that, you know, we may be uh, shutting down the factory over here. Well, if you don't tell people that they're listening and listening to you say something about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So can you have, give us some extra examples of that there in which you're saying you're speaking to the elephant in the room? Yes. So when you understand deeply who the audience is that you're communicating 
with if they believe there's something that needs to be mentioned there's an apology that needs to be made you know your you know drug has hurt some people or um the uh you know delivery that was supposed to happen didn't come you have to acknowledge that first or no communication can happen perfect people are sitting there with their arms crossed in a way waiting for you to you know let them know that you're a human because you've made a mistake okay got it well, and so now I want to hear a little bit about when it comes to sort of the self-management piece, you mentioned, you know, breathing is key. Do you have any additional strategies to, you know, help folks just relax and do their best, whether they are doing a video or in front of a camera or whether they're in a live audience environment? Sure. I think that people understand that these are skills that you actually learn over time. With, I mean, you know, not many people I know that have started their speaking career don't want a little bit of help. I do know a lot of people who've started their video career who don't seek any help because they think, oh, it's just I've been on video. My kids shot me at the birthday party. Um, so there's a little bit of a, a false equivalency in that, hey, I've been on camera before in a casual situation versus I'm going to be on camera in an important situation where I have to be succinct, where I have to deliver a message, where the message that I might have said in a speech is 30 minutes, I have to deliver the essence of it in two minutes. Mm -hmm. So it takes a little bit of thought. One of the things that I find is a common mistake, um, and I know no one would do this, I've never done it, you've probably never done it, is think, oh, well, I have to show up at the room at two o'clock to be in the video. That's not the right mindset. I have to be there at two o'clock to communicate with the 10,000 employees and it's going to be captured on a video. So I want to be thinking about those 10,000 employees or those 200 Kickstarter people or the leadership council that is going to be seeing this. So you really need to be thinking about the audience, not the technology that's putting you there in terms of communication. And that's a huge mind shift that I think um, many of us have to make. Mm -hmm. Okay. So thinking about the people and not the technology, and maybe also just not yourself or how you're dressed <laughs> or whether the slide six, you know, has the perfect content for slide six, but who the people are there, where they're coming from, what you want them to do, and then rolling with that. I also want to hear a little bit about, you know, sometimes when it's kind of captured forever or, you know, immortalized on video or audio or some sort of recorded medium, people get worked up about wanting to just be perfect because everyone's going to see this forever. It's got to be perfect. How do you address that mindset piece? Well, you know, Brene Brown has done a lot of great research on this and frankly, nobody wants perfect. It's just, it's not that interesting. Um, the reason that we pay, you know, 10 bucks to see a movie is we want to see somebody who's imperfect and that good stories are always about change. You know, I, you know, started out as an alcoholic and I got my act together and now I'm happily married and have two kids. You know, you want to see that change and that applies in the business world too. And that one of the things that business leaders need to be cognizant of is that it takes courage to tell your story. It takes courage to talk about that change that you're going through because many corporate stories, films, videos, presentation is we're really good and we're getting better. And that's moving the story from A to B as opposed to, boy, we, we really had a bad, you know, implementation of the new software program. I'm telling you that, you know, it shocked me that it took so long. And now 
Um, we figured out the problem and then we're six months behind. But if we all work together, we actually can meet this new deadline. Okay, I like that. And this reminds me a little bit of Warren Buffett and his writing in the annual reports is that there's usually a negative admission, you know, in his letter to folks and people connect, they resonate with it. I'm so glad that you're talking about Warren Buffett. He's one of my favorites. I mean, I loved it when he had a down year and he said, boy, we had a much better year if Charlie and I just spent a little more time playing bridge. No. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Uh, You know, I've long wanted to learn bridge just because Bill Gates and Warren Buffett play it. So it must be something to it. I've never learned. Yeah, that'd be quite a, I'll tell you what, we'll learn it and we'll ask them if they've done that before some. That sounds fantastic. I'm in, I'm in if they're in. Okay. So, all right, so we talked about the perfect piece. No one really digs it. It's kind of boring. They want to see some more change and that makes it dynamic and intriguing. So any other kind of core elements that make for a strong delivery or just generally that makes things compelling? Well, a couple of tips that I I think would be helpful to the listeners is that there's such a tremendous emphasis in the corporate world on words. And I understand why that is, you know, um, you want to say the right thing. You want to have the right words. You want to describe things. There's legal issues. There's political issues, all that stuff. So that's really important. Statistically, it's a lot less important than people think. But if you're going to be on camera, a couple of things that are more important, perhaps, are your excitement, your vocal tonality, mm-hmm. and your body language. So if there's an incongruity in your body language, and we've all seen that where somebody is saying, oh, we just had the best year ever, and you don't believe them for a second because their you know, eyes are darting back and forth or their arms are crossed in front of them, you, you need those three things to really communicate. And what we're talking about is communication making a connection. Mm-hmm. So if you got the right words, you got the right vocal intonations and you have the right body language, those are the moments that really wind up resonating with people. Because people, you know, whether it's a speech or whether it's a video, only going to come away with two or three things that they really remember. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm reminded of times that this doesn't line up, but it just cracks me up. Like if someone says, I've seen this many times, that's too funny. I was like, was it really too funny? <laughs> I don't know if I buy that that was too funny based on how you said it. Or sometimes even at mass, you know, church stuff. And in one accord, we join the angels in rejoicing. It's like, really? That doesn't sound like we're rejoicing in the least right now. I understand. I mean, <laughs> Woody Allen does that really well in Broadway, Danny Rose. We have a group of comedians around and they're telling jokes to each other. And the one guy goes, that was funny. So like you kind of, you know, it was funny just in saying it, uh, but, you know, unless there's that joy and rejoicing in the angels, that power you feel, you kind of go like, wow, was that really the way you feel? Understood. Yes. And I love it. I heard someone, I think it was Roger Love, who sort of break down what makes for great voice dynamics. And it's like you have some variety, not only in your pitch, but also in your volume and in your pacing. And that makes things generally interesting. And you're saying even more so specifically, you want that to line up and be congruent with the content of what you're conveying. And, you know, the capper is the body language. Mm-hmm. Well, could you give some examples of good and bad body language? I guess it needs to match, but are there any kind of universal do's and don'ts there? Yes. I think what you're looking for is you're looking for an open body language. You know, you can just see your hands, you know, reaching out, palms up. I mean, when the body, you know, arms are crossed in front of you, it's somewhat defensive. 
Um, one thing that, I, that when you meet somebody the first time, I always like if you're shaking hands and they look you in the eye. Um, if they don't look you in the eye and look away, you go like, well, am I we truly making that connection, mm-hmm. taking that moment there? And that kind of human behavior extends to being on stage and on camera. Very good. Okay, well, so now I want to touch base on storytelling a bit. Everyone says that's so important, but what really you know makes a story kind of engaging that makes people care to listen and to take it all in? Well, let's start with the audience, you know, who the audience is. So if you have an understanding of who the audience is um, and where they are in terms of being interested in your story, not interested, um, you know, visually, you know, are they there with their arms crossed or are they open to hearing what you say? That, that helps you to communicate and choose the right kind of story to tell tell them. Um, I think so much depends upon the message that you're trying to deliver. The question that we always start with when we're designing our communications is, what do you want the audience to think, do, feel, say, buy, or buy into after seeing your video? And once you answer that, it's going to help you determine the story. Okay, very cool. And so now I'm thinking in the nitty gritty, you know, let's say that you are a day or an hour away from a video recording or a presentation. What do you think are the must do's, you know, in that space of time? Well, it depends upon, you know, how you're being recorded. But let's say that, you know, it's not a teleprompter. That's a whole different subject, but it is a conversation with somebody. You want to be... um aware of sort of the essence. One of the things that frequently happens in, in video for presenters who are moving from live to, to video is that they've, you know, figured out a way to tell their message in 20 or 30 minutes, let's say. When they come on video, we're talking about the essence, the essential elements, the two to three minutes of key topics. Um, I, I like to say it's like a good tennis match because you want a director who is talking to you and who's actively listening to you so that you have a sounding board, a visual sounding board that you know, the camera is just recording that conversation with, with the two of you. And that I think it's important that people sort of understand something I call the sacred space is that when you're being um, put on video, the space between the director and you is really sort of the only thing that's important at that moment. It isn't the catering truck that is it's out there. It, it, it isn't the uh, traffic noise in the background. It isn't the makeup or the crew or the lights. It's just that that space between you and the director that is going to be so essential to making something great on camera. So understanding that everything else has to be sort of let go. You can't be thinking about you know, your kids at camp, you can't be thinking about, you know, forgot to pay the electric bill. You have to be in that moment focused between two human beings. And when that's recorded and recorded well, it is so fresh and exciting. Oh, yes, I dig that. And that's one of my favorite things really about speaking is that it's clear that in that moment, there's nothing else that should be happening. Whereas, you know, any hour of a a typical workday, I'm in the office, I can choose from hundreds of things I might do. But there it's like, okay, we're all set up. You know, we've scheduled this. All the right people are here. I'm in the room. I'm, I'm mic'd up. And it's like, I can know with certainty that this is all that matters in that moment. And maybe that's be a good philosophy or mindset to take into many environments. 
But yes, it does make a, a world of difference when you're so, I guess, present might be the word. Yes, be here now. Mm-hmm. All right, well, now I'm wondering about some folks if they think, you know what, I've, I've done some videos, I've done a number of presentations and, and I think I'm pretty good. What are some pro tips for making the jump to upgrade from, okay, not bad, to, wow, that's mind-blowing? Well, in that jump from good to great, um, it, it's like in a lot of other areas. So you think about sports, you know, the, the team that, you know, played on Sunday goes and watches the game tapes on Monday. So you, you do the same thing. You're going to look at your performances. And you can go, hey, I didn't like this. You know, I, I, you know, I, I felt like I didn't smile um, well enough. Um, one of the things they, you know, I realized is that the person asked me the question as soon as I answered, I turned away. So they had to cut away too quickly, like a little bit more of a moment at the end, um, of my sentence. And you start to get into the nuance and that I think it's really helpful to have a trusted person, whether that's a director, um, uh, a video coach, a communications colleague, uh, a partner to, to be there with you. Because if you want to get better, it does take constructive um, analysis of mm-hmm. looking at what you do well and what you don't do well. I think uh, another um, tip is that you're looking to partner with people in this journey. And, and what I mean by that is that it's, it's as I reference, it's like a tennis match. You need somebody who can really help you. So, you know, there's some CEOs that, you know, I, I direct all the time because we've developed a rapport. And it was apparent to me, you know, when talking to one of them, they said, you know, what really works is that, you know, the subject that you're talking about and I don't have to think about that. And your questions, well-crafted, make me give better answers. And I think as somebody who's doing podcasts and this kind of thing, you really understand the power of a good question. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the questions that we see sent over um, that we might, that we kind of helpfully people, you write us, you know, tell us about your strategy. Well, you know, that's pretty vague. How about tell us what all the employees can do in the next 30 or 60, 90 days to make sure the company reaches its goal? All right. That's good. Well, so could you maybe tie all this together for us, Vern, if in terms of a a nice example of going from sort of ho-hum, okay, this will be all right, to a transformation that made a a world of impact? You know, one of the things that we enjoy most is working with companies that want to make a difference in the world. And I think that when you look at the research, you know, people tend to spend a large portion of their life at work. And that one of the things that human beings, my, I've observed over time, is they want to do something that's meaningful. So if you want to do something that's meaningful, you're going to be working for a company that wants to create change in the world in a positive way. Not just in the product they're doing, but in the way they interact with the communities, the way they treat the employees. And so we've had the good fortune of being involved with a number of companies who, who give back, who treat employees well, and who are frequently on best employers lists. So it's being a part of helping them to build these high-performance cultures that I really, really like. And that that extends across doing brand videos, letting everybody know the mission, vision, and values. That extends across doing the right kind of recruiting that gets the right people in the door and sort of puts up a 
you know, mental barrier to the people who wouldn't really succeed there. That includes, you know, helping people raise money or helping to acknowledge the, you know, kind of contributions they're making to society and their social responsibility um, programs. So being a part of a company and really being their communication partner in, in video is just so, so rewarding. Oh, very good. And so could you maybe give us an example of, say, here's sort of a dull, not so resonant and inspiring and authentic piece of messaging and that transformed into, wow, that does something for me. You know, we um, do a lot of employee profiles and um, a lot of um, videos around values. So there's a energy company we're working with and um, we were trying to illustrate their value of social responsibility. And they had, and one of the things we do, because we put a lot of real people on camera is re-researching these stories alongside our clients to figure out what, um, what would be a powerful story. Um, and that we had three stories that we were considering. And the most powerful story was about this company Hess that was removing the oil wells that they'd put in the North Sea. So 20 years ago, they drilled in the North Sea to get oil, and now they had to remove the oil uh, rigs. And they had worked uh, over time with the Scottish Fishermen's Association to be a good partner so that the fishermen can still do the fishing, but Hess could still get the oil. And our partner over a period of time said, well, listen, the problem with this story, you know, internally right now is that we're not making any money on this. <laughs> and we said, that's the point. That's why it's such a great story, because when you do this story, um, we understand that, you know, you have to make money. But one of the things about being socially responsible is you put other things, the health of the planet above that. And so working with them. Um, over three rounds uh, of things, we got them to do that story and it became one of the most popular stories on their website and one of the most watched by all their employees and one of the most shared because people were so proud to work for a company that had that kind of commitment to the environment, especially an energy company because a lot of energy companies don't have that strong a commitment and, and haven't had good track records. Mm, perfect. Thank you. Well, Vern, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I think the thing that I've discovered, and listen, I don't think I'm that great on camera. I'm learning. And so writing helped me to learn even more. But the thing that was most valuable to me is that as I'm learning to be more authentic on camera, I'm also learning to be more authentic in my life. And that journey towards authenticity is, you know, so rewarding and it's both an emotional and a spiritual experience and it's improving my relationships with my colleagues and my family and my wife um, because, you know, you're either growing or dying and I hope I am growing. Awesome. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, in, in terms of the... Uh, a film world, you know, there's a artist that I really like named Banksy, and he talks about film is an incredibly democratic and inaccessible. It's probably the best option if you actually want to change the world. And I think about the artist who uh, I admire who are working in film, you know, whether it's Coppola or Ridley Scott. Um, and I think about the documentarians who I admire and I think about the work that we're doing in corporate and I feel like we're part of this 
new group of business artists that are trying to change the business world through the stories that we're telling. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Um, I think one of my favorite books is Leadership BS by Jeff Pfeffer. Oh, yes, Pfeffer. Very good. And what do you like about it? Well, I like being sort of the contrarian because, you know, there's too much stuff that's all saying the same thing. And that when you start to scratch a little deeper, you start to realize that some of the common, you know, um, perceptions are, are just wrong. And that I like the fact that he started me to think in a new way and that anybody who does that with, you know, a book or a piece of music or um, a movie, I just, I, I love that you can change someone's thinking and introduce them to a new world or a new worldview. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite tool? I think my favorite tool is my um, iPhone. I am, am use it for both business and artistry. I love being on Instagram and going out and playing um, with the visuals that just are just so beautiful and abundant around us. All right, thank you. And how about a favorite habit? I think my favorite habit is one that I um, learned from Julie Cameron in The Artist's Way is that when I wake up, I try to write three pages of stream of consciousness um, in the morning. And I try to do that um, as early as I wake up before I'm, you know, had too much coffee. And that I call it skimming off the pond scum. <laughs> I write whatever comes into my mind, no matter how beautiful or horrific or painful or objectionable. And that if I can get all those things things out of the shadow side and all those things just that are just random things. I feel like I can start the day pretty fresh. Oh, thank you. And is there a particular nugget or piece that you share that really seems to resonate with folks? They nod their heads, they're taking notes out of Vern Original. Well, this is get pretty deep, but you know, I kind of believe that we're on this journey to learn what love is. All right. And that once we, you know, and that that's our journey and that's our mission. And the more we're open to it, the more authentic we become. And, and it's not easy. Um, Step my toes a lot along the way. But, you know, bringing, you know, love into your life, into your work life, into your family, into your business, you know, is something. And that that's something I see a lot of people nod their head to when we get to this level of uh, intimacy and discussion that we're having right now. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Agreed. And if folks want to learn more about you or your business, where would you point them? Well, our business is tribepictures.com, a whole website with a lot of different videos and our philosophy there. And my personal website is vernoakley.com. And there's information about our book on that and the kinds of speaking engagements that I have coming up. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Bring love to work. Perfect. I'll go ahead. No, no. I just, you know, I felt like I left it lingering because I didn't put a period at the end of this sentence. I wasn't (laughs) using my vocal intonations properly. (laughs) Bring love to work. All right. (laughs) I'm sold. (laughs) Oh, well, Vern, this has been so much fun. Thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom here. This has been a lot of fun for me and, and hopefully the listeners as well. I hope that you keep on making a great film and uh, rack up all the more awards and, and make the meaningful love impact in your work. Thank you, Pete. Been great talking with you. 
I think that's a real nice turn of a phrase Vern had there. Fear is excitement without the breath. Kind of piggybacking on some of the themes from Dan McGinn in terms of being psyched up and how that unfolds and how breath is a huge part of that and, and really does make a world of difference. And I find sometimes when I'm anxious or fearful, it's like, oh, I haven't breathed in a little bit. Let's do that. So very handy. Again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items referenced here, it's Alan at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F208. And I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Tom Bilyeu. Tom founded a billion-dollar company, Quest Nutrition. That's pretty impressive. But what's really cool is he's talking about mindset in terms of the beliefs you hold, the decisions you take. If you're familiar with any of Carol Dweck's work, hopefully we'll get her on the show one of these days. Tom is living it and has a whole lot of applied knowledge in that. So it's engaging. It's powerful. It gets you thinking about the core of what you believe and operate. So it's a great one. And I hope you're there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 